We're in Galatians chapter 5 this morning. Galatians 5, and we'll be focusing on verses 19 through 26, finishing out that chapter. It may feel like summer outside still, but in fact it is technically spring. Um, And springtime is a time when things grow. That's what we know about spring, right? Coming out of winter and we begin to see flowers blossom. you got to mow your yard. Uh, you got to mow your yard more this time of year than any other time of year, right, and, and get, get it in between the rain. Um, it's a time also when weeds spring up. You know, we laid down all that stuff in our mulch beds, but it doesn't really matter because the weeds just break right on through. The things are, are growing in springtime, and there's a sense in the Christian life, and I would say probably in life in general, in which it's, it's always springtime. Things are always growing in our lives in one way or another. Sometimes we are thrilled about the beautiful things that are growing, and sometimes we just want to grab them and pull them out by the roots because we don't like what we see in our lives. And this morning we come to a very familiar passage of Scripture, namely uh, the fruit of the Spirit is how we would describe this passage. And the obvious question in the heart of every true believer, and probably even of, of those who are not believers in Christ, is how do I see this kind of fruit in my life? We read a list like this, and, and if we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, if Jesus has changed us, then something arises within us and says, yes, I want that. I want there to be the fruit of the Spirit in my life. And so the question is how? How can I bear the fruit of the Spirit? How can I grow in godliness? How can I grow in Christ-likeness? And we're just going to jump right in and try to answer that question. So let's read Galatians 5. I'm going to start in verse 16. Like I said, we'll focus on verses 19 through 26. But let's read these ver- some of these verses that we looked at last week, beginning in verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5. Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. I'll say at the outset, verse 26 there I see is a transition to the next chapter. And so we won't really delve into that in particular, even though it is part of this passage. It's a transition, I think, to what is going to happen in chapter 6. 
we've got plenty to deal with in verses 19 through 25 as is. Paul has already established that there is a struggle in our life. You remember that. While the, the Spirit of God lives within us, if we have placed our faith in Christ, there are still what we call pockets of rebellion in us. The flesh is still active. We saw that in verse 17 of this chapter. And last week, my hope was to offer encouragement in this fight, because we know that there's a fight. And the encouragement is that if we would walk in the Spirit, we will defeat the powers of the flesh. We will not do the deeds of the flesh. That if we would walk, if we would be led by, if we will bear the fruit of the Spirit. And the Spirit truly is more powerful than the flesh. I just want to offer that encouragement again to know that the Spirit is more powerful than the flesh. Paul takes off from verse 18, though, where he writes, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And he says that if we would walk by the Spirit, then we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And then in verse 19, he tells us what the desires, what the deeds, what the works of the flesh are. And so as we think about trying to answer this question of how do we bear the fruit of the Spirit? How do I grow in Christ-likeness? How do I see the fruit of the Spirit crop up in my life more and more? I want to give us, we'll see four different ways that we can accomplish it. And the first one, I think, is know what you don't want to grow. Now, that rhymes on accident, but hey, I'll take it, right? Know what you don't want to grow. So Paul's going to give us a list here. Let's let's read it again in, in verse um, 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Let's pretend you're growing a garden. If you're growing a garden, there are things that you want to grow and there are things that you don't want to grow in that garden. Things like weeds and thistles and choking vines. These are things that you don't really want in your garden if you want it to grow. And so too there are deeds of the flesh that if we are made new by the Spirit, we do not want them to grow in our life anymore. Before we met Christ, we had different desires, but Jesus has come and we are a new creation in Him. His Spirit dwells within us and now we have these these new desires, before we couldn't say no to the deeds of the flesh, and now we can, and we, and we want to. We have a new desire to not see these things grow in us. That's not to say that nothing in us desires after the deeds of the flesh, but rather that it does not bring the same joy. It brings conviction of sin. It brings, it brings remorse. These are not what we want to do. Paul says here, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. They are plain. They are obvious. They are easily known. I said, what color is the sky? You would say, come on, what color is the sky? This is participation. You can speak out loud. What is two plus two? Four. Four. Very good. Haley, they're teaching you well. How many fingers do you have on your hands? Ten. And what day is it today? Sunday. These are obvious. They're plain. They're they're evident. Everyone knows these things. And the deeds of the flesh, the works of our sinful nature, they, they hardly need pointed out, is what Paul says. We know what they are. They're, they're plain. Let's consider this list. And it's helpful to break it down into four sections, even though it is a little bit haphazard. The first category that we, what we see would be simply said to be sexual sins. He says immorality, impurity, um, and sensuality. 
It begins with immorality. The Greek word there is porneia, which we get some English words from. Um, it's a general term for any physical union outside of the bonds of marriage between a man and a woman. It would include all perversions and all distortions of that God-ordained union between a husband and wife, as well as any physical breaking of the marriage covenant. That's what immorality is referring to. The next word is impurity. It has to do with moral corruption. It literally means dirty or filthy. Oftentimes you'll talk about a, a dirty joke. And that's essentially what Paul is talking about here. This impurity specifically related to sexual sins. The next word is sensuality. It has to do with a lack of self-restraint in this particular area. Sensuality it violates the boundaries of this particular area of sin. And not only does it violate them, but it, it flaunts them. It publicly makes a show of them. That's what that sensuality is, is driving at. So, brothers and sisters, with those brief definitions, I would say this. No matter what society tells you about these things, whether they say they are normal or acceptable, it should be as plain as the fact that the sky is blue, that these are not works of the Spirit. These are deeds of the flesh. And whatever your friends might say or do, whatever is glorified in the media, whatever your remaining flesh says, however Satan might tempt you, these things are not to be toyed with. They are not things that we should be entertained by. Rather, they should be identified immediately as deeds of the flesh. And in our spirit, we should say, I don't want any of these things to grow in my life. What's the next category? The next two words, idolatry, sorcery. For lack of a better term, I would say these are sins related to false religion. False religion. Uh, it, idolatry refers to the worship of images as gods. We talked in Sunday school a few weeks about um, what we saw in um, Acts 19. It's making gods of things that are no gods at all. Romans says it's turning the creature, worshiping the creature rather than the creator. We read in Colossians, if, if you want to just check this off and say, all right, I don't have any idols in my household, what do we read in Colossians? That idolatry essentially boils down to greed or covetousness. There are so many things in our society that we can worship, that we can run to for refuge, that we can run to, to to find pleasure rather than God. The next word there is sorcery. It has to do with magic and, and witchcraft or modern pagan religions, astrology, tarot cards, finding security in lucky things rather than in Christ. And actually it's the word that we get our word pharmacy and pharmaceuticals from. It has to do with, with drugs, with mind-altering drugs, which was surprising to me. The application of these two words, we, we can go all over the place when you think about um, idolatry and, and sorcery, but the point is that it should be as obvious as the fact that 2 plus 2 is 4, that these things are not fruits of the Spirit, but they are deeds of the flesh. And whatever your friends might say or do, whatever is glorified in the media, Whatever your remaining flesh says, however the devil wants to tempt you, these things are not to be toyed with. They are not things that we should be entertained by. Rather, they should immediately be seen as deeds of the flesh, and everything within us should say, I don't want any of that to grow in my life. Let's look at the third category. It's the largest one. And 
generically, I would say it relates to interpersonal conflict. When people come together and things just don't go well. Some of the words he uses, enmities and strife and jealousy, these are hostile feelings toward others. Rivalries with friends or families or, or co-workers. Negative feelings towards another person's achievements or success. Outbursts of anger, I think that's pretty obvious. It's a reference to times when our rage boils over and it comes out in shouts or, or physical actions. Disputes. Dissensions, factions, these are outbreaks of selfishness, feelings of, of opposition that divide us from others that are created in God's image. Envy, it's that desire to have something that another person has, that feeling of, of anger that arises within us towards the person who has what we want. And it should be as obvious as the fact that you have ten fingers on your hands that these things are not from the Spirit. These are deeds of the flesh. And again, whatever your friends might say or do, whatever is glorified in the media, whatever your remaining flesh says, whatever the devil tempts you to, these things are not to be toyed with. And they're not something that we should be entertained by. Isn't it unique how often the media is causing fighting to be entertainment for us? Rather, these things should be identified immediately as deeds of the flesh, and something should rise up within us that says, I don't want any of that in my life. Let's look at the fourth and final category. It's these final two words, drunkenness and carousing, um, what I would call sins of excess. Sins of excess. Drunkenness is obviously drinking alcohol to the point of abusing it and being controlled by it. Um, carousing has to do with excess as well, excess of food or drink, or we might just say partying. Um, so these are sins of overindulgence, abuse of, of good things that God has given. And I'll say again, it should be as obvious as the fact that today is Sunday, that these are not fruit of the Spirit. These are deeds of the flesh. And whatever society says, whatever your friends are doing whatever is glorified in the media, whatever your flesh is tempting you to or the devil is calling you to, these things are not to be toyed with and they're not something we should be entertained by. Rather, they should be identified immediately as deeds of the flesh and there should be something that rises up within us that says, I don't want any of those things to grow in my life. At this point, Paul adds this phrase, and things like these. <laughs> because the list is not complete, which is why I really haven't spent a whole lot of time applying these words to specific life situations. The list is helpful. I think what Paul is trying to do is awaken us from, from the fog that we often find ourselves in, a fog that says, I wonder if this is a deed of the flesh or not. And Paul says, this should be obvious to you. Here's the list, and if you're teetering on the edge of one of these things, it should be as plain as the nose on your face that this is a deed of the flesh. So Paul uses this list, and he uses it as a, as a warning. Do you see that warning there? Um, verse 21, things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's something that he has said in the past, probably when he was in Galatia. He warned them about this, and now he's warning them again. And he says, if you persist in these things, 
If you practice these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Now, what he is talking about here is ongoing habitual sin, ongoing continual giving over to the deeds of the flesh, ongoing continual sin. It, it doesn't mean that you've lost your salvation. And, and, it, and Paul's not retracting his whole argument from chapters 1 through 4 of Galatians. What's he been emphasizing? That we're saved not based on what we do. So Paul's not saying, well, if you measure your works of the flesh and, your, and the good things that you do, and the works of the flesh outweigh it, well, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. What Paul is saying is, you've been changed. The deeds of the flesh are obvious to you now, and you don't want anything to do with them. And so if, if they are continually in your life, if there is habitual sin in this, and it's not causing remorse, and you're not seeking repentance, and, and you're not trying to change, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Not because you haven't earned it, or not because you've lost your salvation, but because the Spirit doesn't reside in you. If the Spirit resides in you, verse 17 says, there's opposition, there's a fight. You remember that encouragement from last week? If there's a battle going on in your heart, that's a good thing because it means the Spirit's there. If the Spirit is not there or you don't feel that battle going on, that's a scary thing. It either means that He's not there at all or you have so hardened your heart, it's become so callous that these things don't bother you anymore. And I read this list and you say, oh, well, maybe that's sin, maybe it's not. And it's not as plain as it should be that these are deeds of the flesh. So habitual sin simply shows evidence that the Spirit is not in you. That's why the message of the Gospel begins by revealing sin and driving us to Jesus to be made right, to be forgiven and filled with His righteousness, with His Spirit. As I said, it could be that you are callous, that you are grieving the Holy Spirit. And Paul's warning should wake us up to the seriousness of these things. The fact that we know these things to be deeds of the flesh, but we've allowed them into our minds and our hearts to become, that we've become dull to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And my prayer is that that's, if that's true for you as a believer, that, that God in His Spirit would just break off the callousness and help you to see this, these things are wrong. And, and I, they should not be in my life in any way that you would confess this sin to God, and that your heart would cry out and say, you know what, I am sick and tired of these things taking root in my life, and by the power of the Spirit, I don't want them there anymore. And Paul's going to give a great application for that heart attitude. If that's what's rising up within you, a hatred of the deeds of the flesh, and you say, what do I need to do now? There's a great application coming. That'll be our third point, but I'll let you have a cliffhanger here. But the first step then that we've seen is, if we're gonna if we're going to see the Spirit working in our life, if we're going to bear this fruit that we want to bear, it's to know what we don't want to grow, right? Now, you could preach the next point. You already know what it is. If we, first of all, need to know what we don't want to grow, what's the next step? To know what you want to grow. Know what you want to grow. Let's read this list again. It says, if you are, I'm, I'm sorry, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. In contrast to the, the deeds of the flesh, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. We see that word, that word fruit. It's in contrast to deeds or, or to works. The things that we do in the flesh are things that we do. We can do them with our own hands. We can accomplish them. 
but there's a fruit that comes only from the Spirit. It's supernatural. Something that we can't accomplish with our own hand. It's not a work. It's not a deed. It's it's a fruit. It's a miracle that God does in us. We should consider this, though. I, I don't want to get too picky, but Paul says fruit. He doesn't say fruits. I wonder, is there a reason? Some would say that Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love. And that's the core fruit. And all the other things are manifestations of love. Now that might make sense, especially we, we saw verse 14, you remember? For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. How does Jesus sum up the law? Love towards God and love towards your neighbor. So if we would love, then we are we are in the fruit of the Spirit. This love is, is it's the well-known agape love, the selfless love, a love like Jesus that willingly lays aside all privileges for the sake of others. And that kind of love is only the fruit of the Spirit of God. And it's a fruit, though, that finds countless applications. So it would be like thinking of the fruit of the Spirit as, I tried to pick a, a good Filipino fruit, mangoes, right? Matt's told me that mangoes, that everyone loves mangoes. So let's say the fruit of the Spirit is mangoes. Well, there's lots of different kinds of mangoes, right? Mangoes here in America are terrible, from what I hear, compared. Um, so there's different kinds of, of fruit. There's different varieties, but they're all mangoes. And so we might say, well, that's what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's all love. It just comes in different varieties. It looks like joy or faithfulness in these different places. I think that's possible to say that love is the fountainhead of all the other fruit of the Spirit. I kind of like this, though. I think that maybe it's the fact that what Paul is saying is that the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit produces one fruit, but it has all of these things in it. That if the Spirit's working in you, you're not going to be joyful and patient, but you're going to have no peace or self-control. The Spirit does all of these things. So maybe the fruit of the Spirit's less like a mango and more like an orange. Or it's, it's one fruit, but there's, there's different segments to it. So you open it up, and it's all an orange, but you see these different things. It's all the fruit of the Spirit, and it's all there, but it, it, it shows itself in different ways. Or maybe we think of it as a pomegranate. They ever cracked up open one of those, where there's even more. You know, segments of an orange, there's not that many. A pomegranate, there's just hundreds. And maybe that's what the fruit of the Spirit, like it just it shows up in, in, in all these countless different ways. So we've looked at, at love. Spirit brings about a love like Jesus within us. What's the next one? It's joy. A spirit of rejoicing in all that God has done, is doing, and will do in the future. It's this happiness that's independent of, of circumstances or, or strife or suffering that's going on. It rests in the grace of God. And there's a, there's a joy that only Spirit can give. Only the Spirit can do that. Next one is peace. Unlike this war and division and strife that we saw in the deeds of the flesh, there's, there's peace from the Spirit. The, the Spirit brings peace with God, that we're no longer at enmity with God. Then it brings peace between us and others. Only the Spirit can produce that. Patience. Patience carries this idea of, of um, bearing up when we're provoked, when life circumstances and and people are frustrating. The Spirit bears this fruit of patience. We know that's a miracle. 
kindness. The Spirit produces kindness that's helpful to others, that seeks their, their good. Goodness is the next one. It's similar. It's this idea of seeking what is good for others. The Spirit yields this fruit that looks like, it looks like generosity. It looks like benevolence toward others. Faithfulness. It's a reliability a, to be trustworthy, to be true to God, to be true to others. Gentleness. Gentleness bears marks of, of humility. It's, it's not being so overly impressed with yourself that you're unwilling to help those that are in need. It's a strength that's under control, that knows how to help those in need. Self-control kind of rounds out the list. And it bears this idea of being able to control, to restrain your emotions and desires. It, it would relate to all those sins, all those deeds of the flesh. And it has this, this idea that the Spirit's power comes and allows us to say no to the passions and the desires and the lusts that are against God's will. That's what self-control is. And it's something that only the Spirit can really produce. So again, these are brief, inadequate definitions because I think just like the deeds of the flesh, this list is, is not full. There's things that are not in this list, right? I mean... There are aspects of what the Spirit is doing in us that are not listed here. But Paul is saying that these are things that only the Spirit can produce. It might be good to think of him to, to think of it as the, the Spirit is is what he's he's the Holy Spirit. So what's the Spirit working in us? Holiness. He's making us holy, and, and he's the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of who? Of God. So what's he doing? He's making us more like God. He's making us more like Jesus. As we said, that all of these things find their full picture in Christ, in God. That that's where we see every one of these virtues displayed perfectly. And so, as we've continued to say, this, this fruit, these virtues, they will only be produced in the life of a believer who is indwelt by the Spirit of God. Just to give you an application based on, on some of these lists, this is a great, beautiful guide for prayer. To take this list of virtues and to place it next to your church directory or a picture of your family or, or your coworkers that, or, or, or other people and to say, I want to pray that these things would blossom in this person's life. To think on various places that people are in life, stresses that are on them, things that are going on. As I was praying through our directory this week, it was so easy to look at this list and just say, you know, young parents, I mean, I'm one, so I'm in that boat. Man, just praying for patience. <laughs> Don't we need patience? That's something only the Spirit can do. Those that are sick, that are dealing with illness, that you would have peace. For those that are going through difficult circumstances, that you would see joy produced in your life. And, and on down the list you can go and you can take any life circumstance and say, you know what this person needs? They need this. And it's not going to come unless the Spirit produces it. And to pray, God, produce this in that person's life. It works in the midst of our own lives as well when we're tempted towards those, those deeds of the flesh. That we desire the fruit of the Spirit to be in us. To combat the desire to burst out, to have those outbursts of anger. Instead, to stop and to pray, God, would you bring the fruit of kindness? Would you bring the fruit of gentleness into my life? And that's a miracle that God can do. In the war with, with lust, that we would not simply say, I'm going to be self-controlled, but we would pause and we would say, Holy Spirit, make me self-controlled. I can't do this. I can't fight this 
on my own. And, and on down that list we can go. But I, I'm getting real practical, getting into the nitty-gritty now, and that's where Paul's going to go, so I don't want to jump the gun. Um, so we say, here's what I know I don't want to grow in my life. Now, here's what I want to grow in my life. So what are we going to do now? And the first thing that Paul tells us to do after the, making that clear is crucify the flesh. Crucify the flesh. Verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There's something that we've talked about in, in youth and we've mentioned here this what what some would call the already not yet of the Christian life. There are things that are true of us now but not fully, they will be true later on. So there is a sense in which our flesh is dead, right? Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. And yet, he writes things like verse 17 that say the spirit and the flesh are in opposition to one another. So yes, we are dead, and yes, there are pockets of rebellion that, that still exist. So this process of sanctification is, again, it's, it's a process of becoming who we truly are. And the way we become who we are is first, Paul says, by killing the flesh, by crucifying it. Of course, it's no accident that Paul uses the word crucify. We could draw some parallels, such as the fact that uh, the death of our flesh is slow, but it's sure it will happen. That was one thing I read. Or maybe that um, while we want to see our flesh dead, it's still painful to kill it. You feel that? But I think the main reason Paul uses the word crucify is so that we would see where the power to kill sin comes from. Where does it come from? It comes from the cross. It comes from Christ. He is the one that is killing it. He, he says crucify the flesh. He doesn't just say kill the flesh so that we would see that the power to defeat these sinful pockets of rebellion comes from him alone. How can we kill sin? How do we subdue our flesh? How do we uproot these stubborn weeds, these choking vines that want to crowd out the fruit that the Spirit is trying to bear? Only, only by the cross can we kill the flesh. It's the power of the cross Paul's going to write later in chapter 6, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So the answer to the question of how to say no to sin is rooted in the truth of the gospel, that we have been crucified with Christ. So the question is not, how do I stop sinning? The question is, how can I keep sinning? Because I'm dead to sin. That's the way Paul answered his, answers it in, in um, Romans 6, right? How can I live any longer in that? I'm, I'm dead to sin. So to sin and to, to do the deeds of the flesh is to not understand what Christ has done, but we need to understand what he has done to renew our minds with the truth that our flesh has been crucified. And yes, it is still writhing in pain and it is wreaking havoc in our lives, but it is dead and it is dying. Apart from the gospel, we're enslaved to sin, we're unable to please God in any way, but now we are enabled by the power of the Spirit to say no to sin. We are given the power to crucify the flesh. And so the task of the Christian life isn't just take up your cross and follow Jesus. The task of the Christian life is to set up the cross and make sure that your flesh stays on the cross. That every day, make sure that the nails are secure and that we are killing the flesh every single day. 
How do you drive the nails into the flesh more? It's it's by the hammer of the Word of God, with by by the the truth of the gospel, with with prayer, by being in community and, and knowing what is really true. We we confess sin, and when we confess sin, we say what is true about it, and we kill it. We confess sin to others, and that kills it. We deny ourselves through things like like fasting, so that we can learn how to deny ourselves of things that our flesh desires, and even of good things that can be corrupted. We come to church. We hear from God's Word. We hear who we really are in Christ. We sing about who we really are in Christ. We hear others sing into our ears who we really are, what is really, really true about us. We make war against sin. As John Owen, the old Puritan, has famously said, I think a lot of people quote this, and we don't even know who said it. He says, be killing sin, sin will be killing you. We have to kill sin. We do it by the power of the Spirit, but it's a daily war. Our times of prayer and worship and confession and hearing from God's Word cannot be confined to one day a week. They can't even be defined to one moment of the week. Just because you have your quiet time in the morning does not mean that you will be winning in the battle against the flesh. It's a constant meditation. It's 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 seeking counsel from others. It's, it's being saturated hour by hour with the Spirit. So if we want to see the fruit of the Spirit grow in us, we have to crucify the flesh because the flesh has been crucified. And next, we need to walk by the Spirit. Crucify the flesh, walk by the Spirit. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Crucify the flesh, walk by the Spirit. Think of them as two sides of one coin. It's a both and. Because the Christian life, and this is this has been, um, I think this is where we often fall. Um, I would say in my youth, this is how I saw the process of sanctification. That it's it's this means of self-denial for holiness. That that's all you can do is say no. We should not see our efforts as becoming like Christ simply as saying no, no, no to the flesh all the time. But we also must say yes to the Spirit. There's a reason that when Paul gives a list of, of vices, of, of sins, that in the next breath he gives the beautiful things that are supposed to be growing in our lives because we are followers of Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians 4, and we read it even in, in Colossians this morning, that we put off the deeds of the flesh, that we take off the old clothes, the dirty clothes of the flesh. But then he says to do something else. He says to put on Christ, to put on holiness, to put on the works of the Spirit. I, I don't know much about World War One, but I believe it's where this term no man's land came from, right? Between the trenches, in the battle, there's this land between the, where people are fighting. It's, it's no man's land. And sometimes when we're fighting sin, we just say, no, I'm not going to the enemy's side. And then we stand there in the middle. Again, I don't know much, but I know that if you stand in the middle between two fighting armies, what's going to happen is you'll get shot. I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? But in our, in our walk of sanctification, we just keep saying, no, 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 I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to succumb to the deeds of the flesh, instead of also saying yes and running to the Spirit and doing what Christ has called us to do by His power. 
So Paul talks about this other side of the coin, and, it, coin, and he, he rehashes a statement from chapter 3, verse 3. It was the question I remember reading in Galatians not long ago that just hit me between the eyes, and he says, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you going to be perfected by the flesh? And he says that here. He says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. He says, If we live by the Spirit. That's not an if, like, He's not really sure, but rather it communicates what Paul has been saying throughout this entire book, that, that faith alone is our hope for salvation. That we come to Jesus through confession of sins and faith in Christ, not through lessening our sin by our own efforts, not by seeking to do enough good to make God happy. So what Paul says is, if we are saved by faith through the work of the Spirit, and we are, and if we begin the Christian life only through the power of of God changing us, then that's how we have to walk in the Christian life. Don't expect that you begin the Christian life by the power of God and then continue in it by the power of your flesh. He says, no. You be, it was a supernatural work of God that saved you, and it's a supernatural work of God that is going to sanctify you. We must walk by the Spirit. We need to keep in step with the Spirit. We need to be led by the Spirit. We must cultivate the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. We must allow God to do the work of sanctification in us, to miraculously yield fruit in our lives. And again, how? We do it the same way that we crucify the flesh. We meditate on God's Word. We memorize God's Word. We read God's Word. We remind ourselves of what is true. We are in community with other believers through prayer, our prayers and others. This is this is not just some exercise that we come to do. And your daily Bible reading is not something that you check off your list. It is part of your battle against sin and to see the fruit of the Spirit grow in your life. So if it's become kind of mundane, maybe change the terms of which you think, that this is the gathering place for us to come together and to remember who we really are in Christ, to remember who we are walking with. That, that idea of keeping in step, it has to do with staying in line like an army. And it makes sense because the walk of sanctification isn't something that we do on our own. It's something that we do together. Or with God's army, we are walking together. We're keeping in step with one another as the Spirit sets the cadence. So, if we know the deeds of the flesh, we know the things that we don't want to grow, and we do, because they're perfectly plain to us. And then we know the fruit of the Spirit. We know what we want to grow in our lives. If we know those things, then we crucify the flesh by the power of the Spirit, and we walk by the Spirit in the power that He provides. Now, let me push this agricultural illustration further than Paul probably intended it, but I think it fits, okay? So I'm not saying this is everything that Paul meant when he used it, but I do think it helps us to understand that. Let's, let's pretend that we were going to plant a garden. We're going to start a garden, and the first thing that uh, we need to know is what we want in the garden and, and what we don't in the garden, right? what we don't want in the garden. So for most of us, that's obvious. We don't want weeds. We don't want thistles. We don't want choking vines. And we want tomatoes and peppers and watermelon and bitter melon, right? Bitter melon. I'm, I'm learning. So Andrew and I started a garden like this. Except we don't have any bitter melon in ours. You can bless us with some maybe. Uh, and, we're, and we're trying to, to tend this, this garden. One of the ways to tend it, of course, is to pull weeds. And, and we need to pull weeds. And it's, and it's best to get weeds when they're small, right? Because if they get big, they get down in the roots of your own plants and 
you can mess things up. So you got to pull those weeds, and you got to be on top of it. You got to do it every day because if they get big, they're harder to get. So daily weeding, you, you got to weed every single day if you want your garden to grow. But if all we did was was pull weeds and we never watered our plants, we never put down any compost, we, we might get some fruit, but it's not going to be as good, right? So we need to do that too. We need to um, to, to water them, to, to fertilize them. And if we do these things, then, then fruit is going to grow. But what's funny about gardening is, is that as much as we feel like we're doing something, and, and as much as we need to do something, we have to do something, there are things that we have absolutely no control over. I mean, there are roots that are growing that I don't even see, and the plant is doing that. Photosynthesis is happening in those green leaves, and I don't even fully understand that. The flowers, they, these flowers blossom, and then all of a sudden this little tiny tomato appears, and it gets bigger, and then it, it ripens, and I pull it off the vine, and, and I can eat it. And as much as I would like to take a step back or, or bring it up here and hold it up and say, hey, look what I grew, this tomato. Deep down, I know that I didn't have much. I said that I really didn't have anything to do with that fruit growing. It doesn't take away from the fact that I'm excited about it. It doesn't take away from the joy by saying, well, I didn't do that. I just watched it grow and kind of helped it along. I mean, there's, there's, there's no joy like taking a homegrown tomato and slicing it and putting it on top of a burger that you grilled in your backyard. It just tastes better than the ones you get at Kroger, right? Because it's your own. Because it was grown in, in your garden. I hope that illustration is, is obvious. As God's children, through through faith in Christ, we, we are new. We've been given brand new desires. We don't we don't want to plant these things anymore. We don't we don't want to, we don't take pleasure in the weeds or the deeds of the flesh. We don't want those in our life in our life anymore. Rather, we, we want to see the fruit of the Spirit growing. And so, by the power of the cross, we tend that garden. We get down on our knees and we pull the weeds. And you got to pull weeds every day. We got to confess sin every day. We got to fight every day. You can't take a day off in the battle. Otherwise, they get down deep, and it's harder to pull them out. And so, with sin, we we are constantly in the battle against it, constantly killing the flesh, constantly confessing our sins to God and to others, and thereby we kill the flesh. And then, but we don't just do that. We we run to the Spirit. We allow the water of the word to enliven us, to sustain us. We allow God and others to bring refreshment into our lives. We abide in Christ because that's the only way that we can bear any fruit. The illustration doesn't fully work because we are bearing fruit. So in a sense, we are the plant. It'd be as if we're some tomato plant in the middle of a garden and we have to take care of ourselves, which doesn't totally kind of looks a little strange, doesn't it? But I, I hope that it that it's clear that w- what's going on is is in this in this battle we we want God has put this desire in us to be more like Him. We want to grow in holiness. That, don't the, don't feel like that's saying you're super holy. God has done it. He has put that in you. There are things you don't want in your life anymore, and there are things that you do. But there's a battle going on. And in the battle, God gives us this two-sided coin. He says, you've got to kill the flesh, crucify it, uproot those weeds, get them out. You do not want them. They should be totally obvious to you. And when they're obvious to you, you say, I don't want any of that in my life. But don't just stay there in no man's land because you're going to get shot. You're going to die. You're going 
you're going to eventually succumb to it if all you do is say no. Instead, it's this theology that says, yes, I take off the old garments of sin and flesh, but I run to Christ. And I go and I, and I put on holiness. I put on love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And when I don't want to put them on, I throw my hands up and say, Holy Spirit, will you produce this in me? Because I can't. Because I don't want to. I, I want to move into impurity. I want to move into factions. I want to move into witchcraft. I want to move into carousing and drunkenness. This is where our heart wants to go. That's, that's where the flesh is pulling us. And unless we pull those weeds out daily, then the Spirit will not be bearing fruit like we need to in our lives. It's simple, isn't it? But, but it's this miracle that only God can do. And yet he calls us to tend that guard, to cultivate, to fight, to crucify, to walk in the Spirit. And when we do, he produces the fruit. He gets the glory alone. And so we stand up and we say, look what I did. And we say, nah, I didn't really do that. God empowered me. God helped me to kill the flesh. God, God helped me to, to keep the flesh on the cross. And then he started bearing this fruit. And I didn't even know where it was coming from. So all of a sudden, I was filled with joy and peace patience kindness it just, just started showing up and the beautiful thing is when that stuff starts showing up then other people start to see the beauty of it they say that there's no way that could happen except for the spirit of god doing it in them. I, I don't know how that person walks through life with such love and joy how are they so gentle with people how do they have such self-control and we say i i got the garden but god's bringing the fruit